Rivers of living water. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. Page 565 in the Pew Bibles. That's John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Lord, bless your word today. Help us to grow in you as we look at it this morning. Amen. Now, we all need water to be healthy and strong. Without it, we can't last longer than a few days. An oak tree with a three-foot diameter uses 500 gallons of water a day, all drawn through its roots and root hairs. Just one oak tree, we need water. So glad Pastor Touchstone is here because he gave me the chance to get started as an assistant pastor. And when I first came on, they needed a gym coach, teacher, instructor downstairs in, in GCS. So pastor uh, asked me to do that part-time and, and be uh, uh, pa- assistant pastor part-time. It was interesting to see me running up and downstairs. You never knew when I was wearing my shorts or my suit. I praise God for that. May of 1990, I was coaching our middle school softball team. We had a practice after school in the middle of a heat wave. It was up in the 90s, humidity, end of May. And I was out there a couple of hours with the kids, and I made sure that they were well hydrated. But somehow I didn't follow that directions very good. After the practice, I was going to help Pastor Pat. He said, would you mind coming with me? The youth group's going on a trip, and I need someone to drive a van back to the church. I said, sure, no problem. Poor Pastor Pat. We just pulled into the van place, and I felt kind of funny, and he's looking at me, and I went, my eyes rolled up in the back of my head and I fainted. Now, if you know anything about our beloved pastor, he loves people. He gets concerned when stuff like that happens. And he's shaking me, Ken, Ken. And I finally woke up. He said, are you all right? You want to go to the hospital? What do you want to do? And I said, no, just get me home. Well, I got home. I couldn't get out of the car. He had to help carry me into the house. He said to Bonnie, my wife, where should I put him? And we're in the living room. She says, just put him on the floor. (laughs) And he did. (laughs) Which wasn't the greatest idea because the first thing that happened is my two girls ran and jumped on me. (laughs) Oh, boy. Pastor Pan and I have a lot of history together. 
How many know we have the greatest pastor on this planet? Amen? Amen. Took me a while to train him up, but only kidding. It's the opposite, really. <laughs> so I'm there at home, and, and I finally, after sleeping several hours, called my doctor, told him the symptoms. He said, well, you're probably dehydrated, and you probably had sunstroke, and this is serious. Get in here to see me. And I did, and I learned a lot about the value of being hydrated. And Pastor Pat did get someone to help get the van, but it took extra long. God bless him. So without water in your system, a lot of bad stuff can happen. We need water. And you and I need the water of the Holy Spirit. We need that water. Today, we're looking at the, the great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. This feast that the scriptures talk about today in this, in this portion of scripture lasted seven days. Every day, the priest led a procession to the pool of Siloam where they drew water from a golden pitcher and then traveled back to the temple. Now, this water was symbolic of the water supplied supernaturally from the rock by God in Exodus 17. That's what the ceremony was all about. God had gotten water for the Israelites who've been without water, they're camping at Rephidim. They had no water. And Moses followed God's instructions and struck a, uh, struck a rock and water poured out. And the people were typical people. They were mumbling and murmuring. And, and finally, God led them to where the water truly was. That water saved them. That water saved all the Israelites, gave them salvation, so to speak. But in this picture, we see what Jesus has done for us. That rock was a picture of Jesus who would be struck for our sins, and the water illustrated the Holy Spirit given by the striking of that rock, poured out for all of us. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 4 says this. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. God saved them in the physical realm. Jesus saves us in the spiritual realm and from that rock flows the living water of the Holy Spirit. Praise his name. And during that procession, when they were walking up and down seven days worth, they recited Isaiah 12, 3. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. God's answer to the question of salvation was the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the same answer that we have today for salvation. There is no other salvation except through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. He's the answer. If you're thirsty today, he's the answer. 
from which we can drink deep. Please allow me to describe to you what that day may have looked like. I know some of you think I was there. I wasn't there, okay? My kids think I was there. They thought I was formed in Genesis right after dirt. So that a long line of people walking behind the priest, singing hymns, reciting Isaiah 12, 3. And there were many people from many nations because they had come to Jerusalem to celebrate this Feast of Tabernacles. All kinds of nations, all kinds of people. They're in the line, they're outside the line, they're participating. What a sight that must have been. A long, winding line, snaking its way from the Pool of Siloam, making its way back to the temple, people singing, people reciting, singing hymns, praising God, thanking him for salvation, the salvation of Israel. Moving up the temple steps to Solomon's colonnade, intending to go through the court of the Gentiles and into the holy place where the water would be poured out on the altar as a sacrifice to God, a thanksgiving offering for his saving the Jews in the wilderness from dying of thirst. How many of them missed the true picture of what the salvation really is? For God's intention is to save our souls. And the Holy Spirit has a huge part in that, which we're going to see in just a minute. I picture Jesus at the top of the steps, sitting under Solomon's colonnade where he so often stood and taught when in Jerusalem. And as the procession drew near and was about to pass Jesus, he stood and cried out in a loud voice. He wanted everyone in the multitude to hear what he had to say. And he didn't say it like this. Attention. Here he was speaking, and he was doing it in more than just a physical voice. There was a spiritual power, an impartation, the power of God that drew everyone's right to what Jesus was saying. They all heard. They knew something was going on. He had a point to make, using the water ceremony as an illustration and it had a profound effect on those who heard. Some thought he was the prophet prophesied in Deuteronomy, one like Moses. Some thought he might be the Christ. They guessed right. The spiritual power that flowed was obvious. No one, even the authorities, said something was going on because they said, no man ever spoke like this man. Wow. Wow. Something was happening, and that was the power of the Lord in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Well, I'm going to talk about the fountain and the rivers. So we have a contrast in the book of John. 
Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in two powerful and memorable ways in the book of John. As a fountain and as a river. In a dialogue with a woman at a well in Sychar, Samaria, he describes the Holy Spirit as a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. John 4, verses 10 through 14, says this. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Here the Lord Jesus speaks about a fountain, speaks about living water, which the Holy Spirit is. This fountain of living water is a beautiful picture of the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit who gives eternal life. Those who come to Jesus Christ and accept his sacrifice on the cross, who reach out by faith believing what Jesus did for their sins Then they drink from the the fountain of salvation, the living water of the Holy Spirit who gives eternal life through his resurrection power. They reach out, they believe, and all of a sudden there's a fountain of water. Only it's the power of the Holy Spirit. Only it's who he is which now comes to live in our very being, that precious, precious Holy Spirit. Living water. Taking us from eternal damnation to eternal life and his regenerating power. Praise God for our God, the Holy Spirit. Praise his name. Have you come to Jesus and satisfied your spiritual thirst? Are you still thirsty and dry? Today you're going to have an opportunity to drink deeply of the waters of salvation that Jesus offers you, and I promise you, you'll never thirst again. But now we come to rivers in the text we have today. Rivers. The picture of rivers contrasts with a fountain, illustrating the difference between one's new birth and one's experience of the overflowing fullness of the spirit-filled life. Once we've drank from the fountain, then we become rivers of spiritual blessings for others. Jesus calls us to come to him, to be born again, to be saved, and then to open our hearts to the fullness of the Holy Spirit that will overflow in our lives. And the purpose and plan of that is to touch the lives of others. And God means for us to do it that way. And I I love the fact that we see it's rivers. Not a trickle, not a little brook. Rivers, 
That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing what we can receive through the Lord Jesus Christ. As we come to him and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do. And Jesus is speaking of a promise here to the people, to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was yet to come. Our God, the Holy Spirit, existed from all eternity, but not yet present in the sense indicated here in this passage. Soon, the fullness of the Spirit would be a blessing that all of God's people could experience. Salvation and more. Salvation and the Holy Spirit in power and might. Baptism in the Holy Spirit, spirit-filled life where the waters we cannot contain but flow out of us to touch the lives of others, to change people as we walk in that fullness. Peter, preaching on the day of Pentecost, spoke about the outpouring, the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that all could see evidence by the people speaking in tongues Acts 2.33 says, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you see and hear. He saw the evidence of what Jesus spoke about in the scriptures we're looking at today in the people that were touched, filled, empowered, baptized in the Holy Spirit and pouring out that which God wanted to pour out. For what were they doing when they were speaking in tongues? They were speaking the gospel message of the native languages of everyone around them. That's an outpouring, isn't it? Wow. And it's available to us today. The Spirit poured out, and then the rivers flowed from all of them, touching the hearts of all who could hear. Something else that happens in the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul states the basis of the principle of unity within diversity. Kind of fancy, isn't it? The, universe, the unity within diversity is the commonality of the Holy Spirit. Let me read the scripture, and I'll get back to that. He says, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we have all been made to drink into one spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit and the fullness thereof is the common life of believers, and it's a greater dynamic in our lives than any of our differences. Look around, this is going to shock you. We're all different. Some are tall, some are short. Some are skinny, some are stocky like me. Come from all different backgrounds. Rich, poor, indifferent, in between. All different colors, all different races. But there is a commonality, a unity. That is the unity of the Holy Spirit in all of us. Which is greater than any difference. Greater than any difference. We can sit here, love each other, no matter where anyone came from, because the differences are so tiny compared to the commonality of the Holy Spirit within us and our love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. It's not about religion. It's not about anything like that. 
It's about, number one, our relationship with Christ and our relationship with the Holy Spirit. And guess what we say here? Loving God, loving people. We can't do that without the Holy Spirit in us. Because I don't know about you, but I'm sure sometimes we can be unloving. Which our job is to have some love on us anyways. The unity of the body of Christ is how we are unified in the spirit, not by our differences. Aren't our differences really insignificant? Of course they are. And here we see the Lord telling us, you know what's going to happen to all of you who believe in me? From your innermost heart will flow rivers of living water. All of you. Not if you're rich, not if you're this, not if you're that. Because the Holy Spirit don't care who your daddy is. It's if you love the Lord Jesus Christ or not. And that's what unifies us. How many of you have ever gone in somewhere like at a store or something, and you just, I mean, you, you, you start talking, and you just know that they're a Christian. They're your brother, they're your sister. It's because it's the unity of the Holy Spirit and the power of that. It unifies us. It unifies us. It's a beautiful thing. And then something our pastor touched on from Ephesians 5, 18b. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, in writing... And this portion of scripture gives a whole list of things. He says, and be filled with the Holy Spirit because it doesn't work unless we're filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but I've discovered by now, even at my young age, that if I'm not in lockstep, if I'm not submitted to the Holy Spirit, my Christianity, my Christian walk, who I am, doesn't work very good. Because then I'm not loving God very good. If I'm loving God very good, I'm not loving people very good. And I've already missed out big time. But when I'm submitted to him and I'm hearing his voice and I'm walking with him, then I can be who I need to be. Because Paul says, uh, look, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Like you're expected to be. Isn't that neat? It's not like he writes, well, you know, if you feel like it's sort of one day, if you, you, know, if you have a hankering to try to do something, you, you might want to try to think about being considering all things considered, that you might want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't this a command? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul crying out in this letter to the Ephesians, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what makes it happen. That's what makes it work. That's what makes rivers of water flow from within your heart. You're filled with the Holy Spirit to overflowing. It should be the normative condition. That's when he's writing this. This should be the normative condition of the born-again believers who experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, spiritual form. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the norm, not the abnorm, the norm. He speaks of examples of how the outward flow or the rivers manifest themselves from the lives of someone filled with the Spirit. He says in this passage, in chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, he says, 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He gives a list of things we should be doing if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. I love the fact he starts with speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And that's speaking God's love language to one another, the word of God. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Not only that which is necessary to edify the listeners. Our love language to each other ought to be the word of God lived out in our life, transmitted, transported, given through streams of living water touching someone else's life. That ought to be our relationship with each other, edifying, loving. He says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Remember that song, making melody in your... You know, that's a song we ought to remember because we're to make melody to the Lord. We're, we're to, to sing a song to him, created by the Holy Spirit. Singing a new song. How many here have heard Pastor Pat say, all right, folks, in the middle of our worship, sing a new song to the Lord. He's not talking about taking a pen, a pen and a piece of paper and you know, making notes. He's not talking about that. He's saying, let the Holy Spirit lead you and just glorifying him. Let the Holy Spirit move your lips. Let the Holy Spirit cry from inside a new song to God created by the Holy Spirit for God, glorifying him. It doesn't have to be one that you memorized because God wants us to sing in the Spirit a new song. Glorifying him. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do that. Generated by him. Given by him. And he says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I call that an attitude of gratitude. We ought to be in a position where we're giving thanks always for all the things that God has done for us. We ought to thank him for who he is and glorify him in all things, the scripture says, not just a few. Thank him. Glorify him. Let's, let's have some gratitude. When I was a brand new Christian and starting to be trained as a pastor out in Massachusetts, sat down with a pastor who was training me and I was kind of grumpy. He said, Kenneth, and when he said Kenneth, I knew I was in trouble. He said, Kenneth, what is the problem? And I said, well, I'm, I'm having a problem with my wife. He said, well, tell me about it. I said, she keeps squeezing the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. It's driving me crazy. I got her all these little twisty things. She never uses them. I got her her own toothpaste, and she uses mine, and she's squeezing it from the middle. And I went on and on. He looked at me and finally said, you ought to be thanking God she's brushing her teeth. <laughs> I got it. And since then, I've always tried to find a good thing and give God praise and glory for it and thank him. Not because he does anything, but because he's worthy of it. 
He's simply worthy of it. And Paul here says, if you're going to be filled with the Spirit, you ought to have an attitude of gratitude. And finally, he says this. We're to be submitting to one another in the fear of God. And you know what that means? This is what it means, Pastor Pat. It means we're to be loving God and loving people. That's what this is all about. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. If you don't love God, you can't love people. And if you don't love people, you're not loving God. And so we're submitted to one another in the love of God. It's a perfectly balanced Christian life of walking in the fullness of the Spirit for truly beloved. If we're walking in that fullness, if we have those rivers pouring out of us, we are walking in the fullness of the Spirit and we're loving God and we're loving people and we're submitted to each other in that love. But without the fullness, without those rivers, we're not. We're not. What I like about this passage is this is a promise of Jesus. If you thirst and hunger after him, you drink from the fountain of living water of salvation, then God will give you the ability to be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit to pour out in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Aren't you glad that we can have that? Amen. God is so good, isn't he? He's so good. Well, all parts of the rivers that should flow out of us are because of our relationship with Jesus and, and our God and the Holy Spirit. Those rivers are generated by those relationships. And I'm here today to remind you of what the Holy Spirit does. I mean, I've just scratched the surface. Pastor Pat's going to continue on with what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and what is the fullness that that, that brings and he's going to go into some depth. I'm just touching the surface of who the Holy Spirit is and what he gives us. Well, if the worship team could come out, that'd be great. Are you thirsty and dry? Are you sitting here today just hungering for God but not knowing what it means to get there? Have you ever come to the fountain of living water provided by the work of Jesus on the cross and, and said, I want that. I need that. Now is the time that you can be assured of heaven and eternal life through a loving relationship with our Savior, Jesus. Jesus is calling. The water is ready. The fountain is flowing. The living water is there for you today. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, now is your time. Can I have everyone stand, please? Maybe you've heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit to your very heart today. And he's called you to say, I have eternal life for you. 
is available to you right now through Jesus Christ. Maybe you're in that place today. If you are, if you're thirsty, if you want to receive him, if you want to open your heart and drink deep from the waters of salvation provided by the Holy Spirit, now is your day. Now is your chance. Today is the day of salvation. With all eyes closed, I'm going to ask if you're in this place today, want to drink of that water, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, please just slip your hand up. Just stick it up in the air. Yes. I see your hand, sir. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Anybody else? Now's the time. Now's the call. Now's the place. Just slip your hand up so we can pray for you. Thank you. For those that raised your hand after pastor closes us, please come up. Love to give you a Bible. Love to talk to you about and pray with you about what just took place in your heart. Maybe you've never experienced the fullness of the Spirit. Maybe you're born again, but no, there's more available in the Spirit for you. Today, you can come to the altar. Today, you can ask the Lord to baptize you in the Holy Spirit or to fill you to overflowing, to allow the rivers of the Spirit to pour out of you and touch the lives of many. Maybe today is your day to come to the altar and just ask God to fill you to overflowing, just as the Scriptures declare He would. It might be you today. I'd like also to give you an opportunity as the worship team plays to come to receive that here at the altar. And finally, maybe you're in a place where you know the Lord but have become progressively thirstier, dry, needing a new touch of God in your life, need to get right with Him in order for the flow to start once more. Maybe the flow has stopped. Maybe now is the time in your life to come meet with God on your own and ask for that flow to continue one more time, that you get right with him, that you be in the fullness and in the place where God wants you to be in relationship with him. Maybe that's you today, and I'll encourage you to come to the altar as well. The altars are open as the worship team plays. Please feel free to come to the altar.